Welcome to Truths for Life with Pastor Teacher Chris Hall. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 9, and we'll read through verse 12. And we're studying the life of Christ, and where we are in our particular study now is in the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, a sermon that Jesus preached. It was directed to his disciples. It was a, a, a sermon preached to, to followers of Christ. But there was a multitude, the Bible says, who was surrounding Jesus and the disciples listening in as Jesus was preaching and teaching to his uh, disciples. And the Sermon on the Mount really is a Christian manifesto. How do you live the Christian life in this world? How does the Christian life begin? Jesus starts the sermon with that. And then how are we as Christians to live that distinctive Christian life in this lost world? You know, we're to be distinctively Christian. There's to be something different about us, different in the way we talk, different in the way we act, different in the way we react, different in our lifestyle, different in our conduct, different in our behavior. And we, we, don't, we don't try to be different. We are different because of what Christ has done in our life. I never will forget, uh, we were uh, down in Panama City some years ago, and we went into one of those everything is a dollar kind of stores, you know? That's where we shop, you know, where everything is a dollar or something like that. And, and I was just, you know, walking around looking at all of this stuff that was in there. And a lady walked up to me, and she, and she, said, uh, she said, you're either a judge or a preacher. Now, I didn't start this conversation with this person. They just initiated it. They said, you're either a judge or a preacher. I said, well, which one do you want me to be? She said, I would prefer a preacher. I said, well, that's what I am, you know. Uh, but I wasn't trying to be different. And I don't even know what I was doing that was different. But I, you know, somehow she perceived that maybe there was just something a little different about, uh, you know, uh, my conduct or whatever was going on. We're to live a distinctive Christian life, not to be saved, but because we are saved. And we're different because of what Christ has done in our life. And, and so uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount really sets a standard for how Christians are to live in this world. Now, God doesn't say to us, live this way the best you can. God gives us help. You know, God gives us the Holy Spirit who lives within us, the Word of God, the fellowship of the church, the privilege of prayer. God gives us a lot of resources that we are to rely on on a daily basis so that we can live that distinctive Christian life. And that's really what the, the Sermon on the Mount is all about. And uh, this morning we finish up with what we call the Beatitudes. These are the opening verses of this great sermon. And we're in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
Let's pray together. Father, we want to pray for all of those who have been brought to our attention who are in need of prayer today. We believe in prayer, prayer, the power of prayer. We believe that you hear our prayers and our prayers do make a difference. Makes a difference in the lives that we pray for and it makes a difference in our life when we pray. Lord, we want to pray for all of those who are sick, all of those who are recovering from illnesses, all of those who are looking forward to to surgeries and all of those who are dealing with different kinds of circumstances in their life. We pray for them. We honestly, we sincerely from our hearts pray for them. We collect them now in our hearts and we lift them up to you and pray for your divine intervention in their life. Give them health. Give them healing. Give them encouragement. Give them blessing. Help them to know your presence and your power in their life. Draw near to them today, I pray. We do pray for our nation. We pray, Father, that your will would be done in our nation in the days to come, in the election season that we are in. We pray that good and godly leadership for this nation will be elected, that will guide us in our legislative responsibilities and in our governmental affairs to come back to you and to trust in you and to do those things that are pleasing to you that will bless our nation. But we know the hope of America is not in Atlanta. It's not in Washington. It's in the churches of this nation. It's in churches like ours. And so today we pray for our country. We need revival. We need renewal. We need to come back to you. And oh God, help us to do that. Give us revival in our churches. Give us a spiritual awakening on the streets and in the homes of our nation. Draw us back to thee, I pray. Give us the revival we so desperately need. Bless us now as we open your word. Guide our hearts by your Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now the Sermon on the Mount begins with what we call the Beatitudes. It comes from the Latin word. It means blessed. So let's review the Beatitudes that we have looked at so far. First of all, Jesus began the Beatitudes with this statement. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He's talking about spiritual poverty. Not financial poverty, not material poverty, but spiritual poverty. You can be the richest man in the world and be spiritually poor. And here's what Jesus means by this beatitude as he begins this sermon. He begins this sermon by telling us how the Christian life begins. How do you find God? Well, the Christian life begins when a person realizes, comes to the understanding of their true spiritual condition before God. When they come to understand that they are lost, that they're separated from God, that they are spiritually bankrupt from God. Christian life begins when we realize how lost we are. You can't get saved until you know you're lost. Then Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. That speaks of brokenness over sin. Why are we lost? Why are we separated from God? Why are we spiritually bankrupt before God? All of those things are true because of our sin. Because we have chosen to rebel against God's laws and commands, not one time, but many times and in many different ways. It's our sin that separates us from God. 
Blessed are those who come to the point where they are broken over their sin. Many people enjoy their sin. They're happy with their sin. They celebrate their sin. They try to encourage others to partake in their sin. But it's when a person is broken over the reality that they have sinned against the Holy God that the Christian life will begin. Then Jesus said, blessed are the meek. This speaks of our repentance. This speaks of our coming to Christ to seek his forgiveness. This speaks of our submission and our surrender to his control over our life. This is the moment of salvation. When we realize how lost we are and it's because of our sin that we're lost, then we come to God and we say, oh God, forgive me. Please, Christ, forgive my sin today. I surrender my life to your, your control. I receive you as my Savior and as my Lord. That's how the Christian life begins. Jesus describes that in the first three of the Beatitudes. And then Jesus turns to the characteristics of the saved. Once you are saved, then how are you supposed to live? <laughs> as disciples and followers of Christ in this world, how then are we supposed to live? Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This speaks of a desire to live for Christ. Salvation, the salvation experience is not the end of what God wants to do in our life. It's only the beginning. Once we give our life to Christ, then God will give us by the work, the saving work that he does in our life, a desire to obey him and to live for him. You want to test your salvation, the reality of your salvation? Do you have a desire to obey Christ? Do you have a desire to live for Christ? This will be true of the saved person. Blessed are those who hunger, who have a deep desire to grow in their fellowship in the Lord and to grow as Christians and to advance in the Christian life. Then Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. In other words, Jesus says, as we have received mercy from God when we were saved, we are therefore to give mercy to others. As we have received mercy and compassion and love and forgiveness from God, we are to give love and mercy and compassion to others. Blessed are the merciful. Then Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. This is, speaks of a desire to live a holy life. You know, when, when God saves us, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. The first name of the Holy Spirit is holy. <laughs> and it is the work of the Holy Spirit in our life to help us to grow in holiness and to grow in purity. See, the moment you give your life to Christ, you're saved. That's justification. But as you live for the Lord, Jesus, the Holy Spirit will help you to become less like the world and more like Christ. That's sanctification. That's a lifelong process. That's not something that happens in a moment. Salvation happens in a moment. Sanctification is the lifelong process of becoming what God would have you to be. And it's a process that never ends as long as you live in this world. God will still be working on you to make you what he wants you to be. <laughs> and that's a lifelong process. And then when you leave this world, that's glorification. Justification, sanctification, glorification. That's when your salvation will be complete. 
The Bible speaks of salvation in three different tenses. We have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. Our salvation is secure in Christ. And so blessed are the pure in heart. Jesus said we should always be growing in holiness and purity. That's a battle we fight every day with the old flesh. That residue of the lost life that we have living within us. That, that part of us that uh, has not been fully... Re- See, your soul was saved the day you gave your life to Christ. But your body hadn't been saved yet. Your body won't be saved until the resurrection. So your soul, you have a saved soul living in a decaying body. That's why when you you get saved, you still continue to get old and you still continue to get sick and you still continue to have sinful desires that will war, the Bible says, against your soul. But we have a desire to live a holy life, a pure life. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. Now today in these final two of the Beatitudes, Jesus teaches two things. We live in a world of conflict and division. And it's getting worse, is it not? Conflict and division and warfare. Jesus said, in a world of conflict and division, Christians are to be peacemakers. We're not to be war makers. We are to be peacemakers. And then Jesus said, in a fallen world that is controlled by Satan and sin, Believers in Christ can expect to be persecuted. Let's look at Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God or the children of God. Now, before we came to Christ, we were at war with God. No matter what you claimed about how much you knew God or loved God or believed in God, the reality is that before you came to Christ, you were the enemy of God. You were alienated from God. You were separated from God. You were living in rejection of His Son. You were living in rejection of His Word, His will, His way in your life. You were living in rejection of the Holy Spirit of God that brought conviction into your life. In reality, the Bible says before we were saved, we were the enemies of God. We were at war with God. But it was not until we repented of our sin. It's not until we received Jesus as our Savior and Lord that our war with God ended. And our peace with God began. Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our war is over. (laughs) Our warfare, our rejection, our rebellion against God is over when we receive Christ as our Savior and Lord. Now, having found peace with God, Having experienced God's peace and His presence in our life when we gave our life to Christ, that then is a motivation for us to be people who pursue peace in the world, who promote peace in the world. Jesus said, now that you have found peace with God as my children, you are to be peacemakers in this world. 
You are to be those who seek to bring reconciliation about in this world. You are not, no, no longer are you at war with God and no longer are you to be a war maker with others. You are to be a peacemaker. So how do we go about being peacemakers that God would have us to be? Well, there are several ways in which we fulfill that function as being peacemakers. One of the ways we are peacemakers is that we share the gospel of peace. We share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is the great peacemaker. Colossians 1 verses 20 and 22 speak of how Jesus has brought peace between us and God, between man and God, that he is the one who brings reconciliation between an offended God because of our sin and we're lost. Who bridges the gap? Who makes peace possible? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. When we accept Christ, we find peace with God. Our war is over with God. He's the great peacemaker. Ephesians chapter 2 speaks of how Christ then makes peace between men and men. The Jews and the Gentiles were at war with one another in the ancient world. But in Ephesians 2, the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul speaks of how Christ has brought peace between the Jews and the Gentiles and made them a new man, a new humanity. And that is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are peacemakers. We are to be peacemakers. So how are we to be peacemakers? One way is we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We help those who are lost to find peace with God. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. That is God who has made it possible for us to have peace with him through the Lord Jesus Christ has given us the ministry of reconciliation. As we have received peace, we are to promote peace. And how are we to do that? That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. You have been called to the ministry. And that ministry is to be a proclaimer of the word of reconciliation, that you can find peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So one of the ways we are peacemakers is we preach the gospel of peace. We can go to someone and say, you're, you're lost. You're separated from God. You're not at peace with God. And you know, people who are not at peace with God will not be at peace in their own hearts. There'll always be something wrong, something missing, something going on in their own life. They'll be ten, they will tend toward conflict and confrontation and division and hatred and turning away from people and from God. We can go to them and say, look, if you want peace in your life, if you want peace between you and God, there's one way. That's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we implore you to find peace with God. We found that peace. We're no longer at war with God. We're at peace with him through Jesus. And you, you can have peace. You can have peace in your life. You can have a peace that passes all understanding. You can have peace not as the world gives, but as God gives. 
You can have a divine blessing of peace, the peace and the presence of God if you will give your life to Christ. Oh, there's so much that happens in the life of a person when they receive Christ. When they receive Christ. So, many, so many things that happen immediately at that moment when we're saved. Her war with Christ is over. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We become the children of God. We have a home in heaven. God changes us and makes us new creations. He gives us a new mind, new heart, new desires, new wants. There's so many things that happen in that moment of salvation. And there's so many things that begin in that moment of salvation, which will be a lifelong process until we go to meet the Lord. So how can we be peacemakers? Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Promote peace by telling others you can find peace with God. You can find peace in your own heart. You can find peace in your own life. You can find peace with others through the Lord Jesus Christ. Second of all, as peacemakers, we're to seek to live at peace with others. The Bible says that we are to pursue peace in our personal relationships and in our, in our dealings with other people. Listen to Romans 12, 18. If it is possible... As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. In other words, do everything you can to live at peace with people. Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all people. In other words, in our own personal relationships, in our dealings, in our own personal life, we are to seek to live at peace with other people. Now, sometimes we come into conflict with other people. We come into confrontation with other people. That happens. It's inevitable. It's a part of life. It's a part of this world. It's a part of living in this world, whether you're saved or not. Sometimes we grind on one another. We have disagreements with others. We, we have conflict with others. We have confrontation with other people. We are not to be the cause of that. But we know it's a reality, and we're to seek to do all we can to live at peace with other people and to pursue peace. Now, the peace that Jesus is talking about is not peace at all cost. Being a peacemaker does not mean that you allow yourself to be wronged or taken advantage of. You can defend yourself, and you should when you are wronged or taken advantage of. Being a peacemaker does not mean that we compromise with sin and evil. In other words, well, I know that's wrong, but I'm not going to bring it up. I'm not going to deal with it in order to avoid confrontation and conflict. Being a peacemaker means that sometimes we have to speak the truth in love. That I love you, I care about you, but what you're doing is wrong. What you believe is wrong. Being a peacemaker means that we control ourselves in conflict. It means we, in, in all conflict, we look for the right solution. We look for God's solution. It means that we confront without being abusive. We disagree without being disagreeable. In other words, we're called to be peacemakers. Now, there's some people who are walking conflict. There, there are conflict waiting to happen. You know, they enjoy the conflict. They enjoy the argument. They enjoy all of that, that that goes on. Beware of those people. Some of those people are in church. Sorry, 
Been there long enough to know that there are some people who just enjoy a good argument and a confrontation, usually over nothing that, over something that doesn't mean a hill of beans in the stretch of eternity. You have to be aware of those people who enjoy conflict. Because you see, as Christian people, we are called to be peacemakers. We are inclined to be peacemakers because we have found peace with God. We have been commanded to pursue peace with all people. And if there's a person who constantly enjoys the conflict, and, and usually they do that in order to take, they, in their mind, they're taking people's eyes off of themselves. So they stir up all of this stuff. And if that's a characteristic of a person, you have to wonder, do they really know the Lord? So as peacemakers, we're to preach the gospel of peace. We are to pursue peace in our personal relationships. As peacemakers, we are to be promoters of peace and holiness and righteousness and civility in any circle we find ourselves in. Wherever we find ourselves in, we are to be promoters of peace and what is right and civil. Whether we're in our culture, our society, at home, at church, in our family, we are to be those who seek peace and harmony. Now, I love that verse, Romans 12, 18, as much as depends on you, if it's possible, live at peace. Sometimes you can't live at peace with some people. They don't want to live at peace. So what do you do then? Well, you pray for them and you just go on. Like, you know, the last time Brother Ralph was plowing in the back 40 with his mule and his plow hit one of those stumps. Brother Ralph didn't try to dig that thing up. He just went around that stump. Forgot it. Right, Brother Ralph? Amen. <laughs> Sometimes you run into folks who are just stumps. And there's nothing you can do to bring harmony or peace. So what do you do? You don't fight with them. You just go on. You give them to the Lord. You try your best to live in peace with them. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. And so wherever we find ourselves in our community, in our culture, wherever we find ourselves, Christians are to be promoters of peace. That means when a ruling comes down from the Supreme Court, we don't attack anybody. We don't kill anybody. We don't stomp on anybody. We don't get outside of somebody's house and make a commotion. We don't do that. Christian people don't do that. We pray for them. And we seek to promote peace. So Jesus said, Christian people, now that you're saved, now that you're a Christian, you have the inclination to be a peacemaker because you have peace with God and what God has done in your life. And Jesus said, you're to live on that inclination. You are to be a peacemaker. And if you're a peacemaker, you shall be called the children, a child of God. What does that mean? Jesus said an important confirmation that you truly are a child of God is that you have the, the desire to be a peacemaker. That's what he means. There's a lot of markers of those who are truly saved. There are a lot of points of confirmation that a person is truly saved. And one of those markers, one of those points of confirmation is the fact that you desire peace. 
Not as the world gives, but as God gives. Peace that honors God. And you are a promoter of peace and a pursuer of peace. And so Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Now, the person who is continually disruptive, the person who is continually divisive and quarrelsome has a good reason to doubt their relationship to God altogether. You see, when God saves you, he changes you. Now, if a person says, I'm saved, but they're living the same way they were before they got saved, after they supposedly got saved, then you got to question whether they really came to Christ or not. Because when God saves you, He changes you. When God saved me, I didn't change myself. He changed me. And He's still changing me. And He's still working on me to make me what He would have me to be. Pick Him just a week to make the sun and the stars. <laughs> Y'all remember that song? He's still working on me, however. So blessed are the peacemakers. Then Jesus said something. You know, the Lord often said things that just didn't make sense. Makes sense in the mind of God, in the heart of God. It makes sense for God's people. But as the world looks at what he says, it just doesn't make sense. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted. The word persecuted means to be pressed means to be squeezed. Blessed are those who are persecuted by this world for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. Say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake, Jesus said. Rejoice. Be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, the Christian life is the greatest life there is. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who love him, those who live for him are blessed in this world. They will be blessed in eternity. We, will be, we are being blessed and we will be blessed in ways we can't even begin to understand or fathom. The opening verses of the book of Ephesians says, we have been blessed in heavenly places. The Christian life is the greatest life there is. Though the Bible makes this very clear. Jesus never promised his followers that they would have an easy time in this world. The Bible makes it very clear. The history of the Christian faith has confirmed this. That in this world, those who follow Christ and faithfully live for him will face persecution from this lost world. It's not a maybe. It's not an if. If you live long enough as a Christian, if you live faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ in this lost world, you will face pressure. You will face persecution. You will pay a price in this world for giving your life to Christ. Some Christians will face persecution, more persecution than others. There are some parts of this world right now where if we were in that setting right now where we were, we would all be in danger of being arrested and thrown in prison for the rest of our lives. And I would be in danger as the pastor of being executed. Some Christians will face more persecution than others. But in this world, to live for Christ is to be rejected by this world. The same world that rejected Christ will reject those who follow Christ. 
2 Timothy 3.12. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you live godly in Christ Jesus, if your desire is to live for the Lord, to love Him and to honor Him, you will pay a price in this world if you live long enough. In this beatitude, Jesus is saying that if you live faithfully for Him long enough, somewhere down the line, you will be persecuted. You will pay a price. You might lose your job because of your faith. There have been many Christians who have been fired. Now, the reason why they were let go or fired from their job or their position would never be put down on paper because they were a Christian. There would be some other thing put down there. But I can guarantee you that if you're a Christian in a lost workplace, pretty soon those lost people in that workplace will get tired of you, even though you're just being who you are. And they'll do everything they can to get rid of you, to get somebody else in there of their thinking and ilk. You may lose a job because of your faith. You may lose a promotion because of your faithfulness to Christ. You may lose relationships because of your faith in Christ. You may lose your family when you give your life to Christ and friends. 1 Peter 4 verses 4 and 5 says this, of course, your former friends will be very surprised when you don't eagerly join them anymore in the wicked things they do, the things you, you used to participate in. Now that you're a Christian, you won't do them. And they will laugh at you in contempt and scorn. But just remember, just remember that they must face the judge of all, living and dead, and they will be punished for the way they have lived. How many Christians have heard this? You used to be a lot of t fun until you got all that religious stuff. <laughs> Somewhere down the line in this world, you will pay a price for following Christ. Jesus said that some Christians will pay a physical price for following Christ. They'll be beaten and tortured and abused and injured and mistreated. Some will even lose their lives. Martyrs for Christ. This has happened to many Christians over the course of Christian history. Some years ago when I was in college at Blue Mountain College, we had a man who was a part of our college class, part of the ministers who were attending this college. He was a Jewish man from Philadelphia who had given his life to Christ. He got saved. And he was wanting to you know, he, he felt called to, to the ministry of music. He had a beautiful voice. He was a tremendous choir leader. He became a, a choir leader in a church in North Mississippi. You know, that's quite a, tra a way to travel from Philadelphia to North Mississippi. That's a long way in culture and in, in many miles. But he was there and he went to Blue Mountain College and he was wanting to get a better education into Christianity. I was talking with him one day, just a great guy, tremendous sense of humor, very powerful testimony of how he gave his life to Christ. He said, you know, when I gave my life to Christ and it was known to my family, you know what they did? He said, they published my obituary in the paper. In other words, what they said was, because he has given his life to Christ, we consider our son, our family member to be dead. Literally, they published his obituary 
in the paper. He said they turned their back on me. They considered that I am dead. Here I am a Jew in a strong Jewish family and I've given my life to Christ. He said that lasted for a little while. He said, but you know something? There's something about a mama's love and my mama started calling me. And sometimes when I'd answer the phone, I'd say, this is your dead son speaking. <laughs> and eventually he reconciled with many in his family. You see, if you give your life to Christ, somewhere down the line as a Christian, you're going to pay a price. Jesus said some Christians will be verbally insulted and mocked and reviled and ridiculed and abused and humiliated and scorned because of their faith. Your faithfulness to Christ may cause some strangers, co-workers and neighbors, even friends and loved ones to say things to you and about you that will cut you and hurt you deeply. Jesus said that some Christians will be slandered, maligned, and falsely accused because of their faith. You want me to tell you the class of Christians who are suffering most persecution in America today? We have been spared so much from the persecution that many other Christians face in the world. There's one class of Christians, however, that suffer persecution more so than any other class of Christians in the United States of America. You know who that is? High school and college students who are Christians. Living among their peer groups in those academic settings which has such an entrenched attitude against Christ and many who are there who, who are not Christians. If you're a high schooler or a college student who loves Jesus and lives for him, you will suffer persecution. It's not some esoteric thing that may happen. It is something that is happening to them. That's why we need to pray for our Christian young people. Going to these high schools and these colleges. You know how much courage it takes to be a, a professing Christian in those kinds of settings and the suffering that they will experience because of their faith in Christ. And God bless our young people. You know, sometimes we talk about our younger generation. I just don't know what's going to happen with this younger generation. Did you know that your parents say, said the same thing about your generation? It's just a thing we do. We always, I don't know what's going to happen to this younger generation. That's how, every older generation speaks that way of every younger generation. But I want to tell you, there's some outstanding Christians among our young people today who love Jesus and who want to live for him. We just hear the horror stories of all the evil and the wrong that they do. There are so many who are so faithful to Christ. As a Christian, whether you're young or old, somewhere down the line, you're going to pay a price for following Christ. But we need to remember that when we are hated and maligned and attacked as Christians, the real animosity and the real hatred is not against us. It's against Jesus. It's not against us. It's against Jesus. There, Satan hates Christ. He hates us because we belong to Christ. He hates us because Christ lives in us and we live for him. But also always remember this. Jesus does not ask us to endure anything that he himself did not endure. He was maligned. He was attacked. He was murdered. 
And he will never ask us to endure anything that he himself has not first endured. This is one of the reasons why we need the church. If you're a Christian person, you need the church. The world out there is going to be rough on Christians. You need a family of faith where you can come into and find encouragement to find people that will pray with you and pray for you to find the encouragement through worship and Christian fellowship. You need the church. You don't need to be some sheep out there all by yourself saying that you're a Christian and you don't need the church. You better believe you need the church. If you're going to live faithful for the Lord in this world, you need that fellowship of faith and encouragement. You need to be, your spirit needs to be fed. You need the assembly of God's people to give you strength to face this world. You know, I love football. And you know what they do? The, the team with the ball, what they do before they run a play, they huddle up. They get in the huddle. And the player calls the play, the quarterback calls the play, and then they go out and play. You know what we're doing this morning? We're huddling up. We're huddling with one another. We're huddling up. We're finding encouragement from one another. I'm giving you to play. The, to play. And then when we leave this world, then we go out into this world. Like we're, we're going to play the play. Sunday mornings are just holy huddles. And Sunday night, holy huddles where we huddle up. And we find encouragement from one another. Then we go out and live in this world. Because in this world can be rough on Christians, tough on Christians, and it's only going to get worse in America. See, we're getting close to the end. Jesus is coming soon. Satan can look at the clock and he knows his time is short and he's going to do everything he can to spur hatred of God's people in this world before the second coming of Jesus Christ. If that's true, if I'm going to face all of this because I give my life to Christ, then why should I? I mean, if I'm going to be persecuted, if I'm going to be attacked, if I'm going to lose all of this stuff because I give my life to Jesus, then why should I give my life to Jesus? I mean, why go through all of that? Why expose myself to all of that? And here's the reason. Because whatever price you pay for following Christ in this world is nothing compared to the blessings you gain in this life, in this world, in eternity, in heaven by giving your life to Christ. Whatever you lose is nothing compared to what you gain. You see, without Jesus Christ, whatever you gain in this world, whatever you accumulate in this world, whatever comforts you have in this world, whatever advantages you may have in this world, whatever joys you may have in this life, whatever position or place of influence you may have in this world, whatever relationships you have in this world will one day be lost and they will be all gone and there will be nothing left. But if you give your life to Christ... Whatever you lose is nothing compared to what you gain. And what you lose can be no, no way compared to what we receive because we give our life to Christ. Jesus put it this way, Matthew 16, 25 and 26. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. If you say, well, I'm going to save my life. I'm, I'm going to keep my life to myself. I'm going to live the life the way I want to live it. 
I'm not going to give my life to Christ. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. If you desire to save your life, Jesus said, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose everything. But whoever loses his life for my sake, whoever will give me his life, will find it. For whatever, what profit is it if a man gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man exchange, give in exchange for his soul? The question is not, will I, what will I lose if I give my life to Christ? The question is, what will I lose if I don't give my life to Christ? And the answer is, you lose it all. Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted. Theirs is the kingdom of God. This world and this kingdom ain't going to last. One of these days, it's all going to be all over. But we're a part of a kingdom that will never end. The kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are you who are persecuted. Now, we don't go looking for persecution, right? (laughs) I mean, we don't go looking for it, but it'll come. In Isaiah 48, 22, Jesus The Bible says, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. In other words, if you're a lost person, there'll always be something wrong in your life. There'll always be something missing. You'll always be searching for something. No matter what you gain, no matter the successes you have, no matter all the stuff you have, there'll always be something wrong, always be something missing. That's why people go from one experience to the other. They're always looking for that thing to finally bring them fulfillment and happiness in life. And what they achieve may may in the short term give them some happiness and fulfillment. But eventually that aching hunger for something, that emptiness in their life, it will always return. There is no peace for the wicked, for those who reject Christ. You want to find peace? You want to find peace that passes understanding? You finally want to find peace and fulfillment in this world? It only comes when you come to Christ. And God gives you peace. Peace in this world and peace in the world to come. Is it worth it to follow Jesus? Absolutely yes no matter the price you might pay in this world. Thank you for joining us for our program today. Truth For Life with Pastor Teacher Chris Hall is a presentation of Hall Sports Communications. To contact us, you can send an email to chrishall71 at hotmail.com. That's chrishall71 at hotmail.com. Be sure to join us for our next program. Until then, stay safe and may God bless you.